A very warm welcome to episode 19 of Wind Your Neck In, and as always, I am your host, Niall Anna. Where did those 19 episodes go, by the way? It has gone so fast, and thank you to all of you who reached out last week when we announced that the releasing of episodes would be moving to every two weeks with my work commitments as a professional rugby player increasing and us moving ever closer to games starting back up. Next week's episode, number 20, will be our last in season one, and we plan on going out with a bang. But anyway, for the here and now, we welcome John are a close personal friend and a legend of the Worcester Warriors. We hope you guys enjoy and if you're not subscribe and rate the show. Cheers. Hello hello and welcome to Wind Your Neck In and it is my absolute pleasure to welcome a very close personal friend to the show Johnny R. Johnny how the bloody hell are you? I'm doing very well thanks. Good and you've taken some time out of your busy busy schedule to come here and actually this is the first socially distanced episode I, I should state that we're doing post-covid well not post kind of in the midst of covid so you're the first one that we've actually been able to do face to face since chris pennell lucky for you you get to you get to see this big red bake yeah well i think it's got partly to do with um the terrible wi-fi reception that i've got out in the sticks um me and me and zoe can't even be on the, our phones at the same time so um it's a blessing really though because it's got me out of the house um and uh, and it means i can uh, come and have a catch up with yourself so yeah. it's all good we haven't seen too much of each other which has been a shame like everybody the covid's kind of put everybody into a quarantine state and how i mean we were chatting briefly before we recorded fair to say you weirdly enjoyed self-isolation slash quarantine yeah, I have. Yeah, um, <laughs> the hermit. I've, I have turned into a bit of a hermit crab, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm I'm tucked away out in Earl's Croom and uh, just I've made the most of it. You know, just it's very rare that you get so much time to spend. You know, with your family and and your dogs. Mm. Yeah, I've just fully made the most of it and kind of dug myself into the trenches and uh and enjoyed um enjoyed just spending time with zoe and um and just cracking on with life yeah one of the things um obviously because i knew you so well one of the things i was thinking about when we were we were getting ready for this was like you obviously had just finished well more or less just finished preparation and work on this stunning barn that you've put together which i know as you're nodding your head has been a bit of the bane of your life but it looks unbelievable so you've been able to firstly enjoy that and then secondly not long before it you did acquire a second puppy so you've had some quality time to enjoy uh, zoe in the house and the two dogs it's been great fun yeah we we got a, a second border collie uh Ossie. You're, you're a maniac for getting to i know it. yeah um but i think zoe led that decision mm. fairly strongly but um <laughs> no she's she's been a great addition and um to be honest i think that's part of the reason why I now work from home, you know, full time to, to, to look after her, both of the dogs. And it's been great fun. Um, they they keep us on our toes, but um, no, it's all good. And and the other thing was the garden. Like, uh, if I hear you talk about this garden anymore, I'm going to lose the plot. But talk to me. Four months you've had to work on this thing with some stunning weather. Four months to work on this garden. What state are we in? Talk to me about the bushes. There was something about the bushes or the fencing. Oh, the bushes, yeah. So I... Probably, it was over a year ago now, I planted some hedgelings, some very <laughs> young hedgelings. <laughs> and uh, I think I was at Worcester at the time. I must have done it on a day off because I remember going back into training on a Thursday and all oh, my lower back. <laughs> like, you didn't have the best back anyway, John. Yeah, <laughs> I got a useless back as it is, but I spent a full day planting about 150 hedgelings. <laughs> lower backs absolutely hanging off. And um, I was convinced every single one of them had died uh, uh, 12 months later. But um, luckily, um, we, we're seeing some life. And um, I reckon I've got I reckon about 75% success rate. So uh, I'll take it. Yeah, That's not bad. It. That's not bad at all. Well, listen, What has my life become talking I, about hedgelings? This is the thing. You know, everybody's gone mad for the gardens. And as you saw earlier, mine's still a bit of a state. But it's a work in progress. So... Listen, a big thank you for coming on. Um, some pretty big news in your world um, within the last week. For the people who haven't seen it, um, we're going to get to the real ins and outs of it later. Do you want to give some people, the, the listeners, the millions of listeners out there, an idea of what's been going on in your world? Yeah, so last uh, last week now, um, I just decided to kind of officially call time on my rugby career. Um 
and uh, move, you know, moving forward from that, announce um, my new business that I started um, along with my business partner. And um, it was, it was just a way to me, for me really, just to make it real. You know, yeah. um, I pretty much decided that I was going to retire from the game quite a few months ago now, but um, I wanted to get to a position where um, I was set up in terms of my next um you know my next career move and that all fell into place um and uh yeah just kind of got that announcement out there got it it's nice to get it off my chest i can now just look forward with the future you know mm. i think it's it must be nice to get that out there so that you can put some closure on your professional rugby playing career because and i say professional because as the coach of the one as a coach of the wandies i'm pretty sure we're gonna try and get you to talk about for a couple of games <laughs> if i can get you and birdie and a few of the lads out for a game we'll have some crack you can how, i mean you can play wherever you want how many pints do we get afterwards i will personally pay for a couple of pints <laughs> if it means i get you for a couple of pints i'd be more than happy to do that but um no i think it's, it's great that you've got that out there so i mean let's let's go back a couple of years then and i say a couple i mean you know roughly 23 actually um to 24 i think we have to start at at your associate the early years of your association with worcester rugby club which has morphed into worcester warriors through all the years that have gone past but a hugely decorated career and someone that all the worcester fans um will 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 appreciate all the work that you put in there for sure a career that spanned over 10 years professionally with well over 200 caps um, but a career that actually was 23 years with the same club. How do you feel about that association and that relationship with Worcester, the rugby club, from those early years? It's something that just became such an emotional attachment to me um, ever since, you know, I first kind of pitched up at Six Ways when, you know, there wasn't even the sight of a stand or or, or anything, or certainly, you know, a 4G pitch. You know, that that moment I, I I stepped on there as a as an eight year old it, it, it became my club you know yeah. um, my parents had moved to the city pretty much when I was born um, um, so I grew I grew up here and um, I just loved every minute of being a part of the Worcester rugby club mini junior section um, I had some great friends and um, some great times there and to be honest I never really had any major dreams or aspirations of becoming a professional rugby player after mm. that I was very very much aware of just the numbers involved in it you know yeah. the chances of making it are so small so I was fully prepared just to do what all, all my mates were doing really and that was go off to university and and enjoy that aspect of life before <laughs> coming home if I survived and um, and just cracking on with life and and I suppose in a way, you know, I got a foot in the door, got an opportunity um, and just took it. And then it went from one contract to another, <laughs> to another. And then, um, yeah, 12 years later, um, they still can get, well, they did get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> eventually, eventually. Yeah. So I think uh, born and bred in Worcester and a pupil at the mighty RGS. And obviously there's not a massive rivalry between RGS and Kings in, in, the, in the city and, it's the games that the Modus Cups obviously played at Six Ways every year. Um, the, the, at that stage, you, it's interesting that you bring it up because when we had Pens on, um, he said that he had no real concept of moving into the world of professional rugby and I said how I was totally different. And I do think, having chatted to people, there's like a very split camp on that. People, You get people who are really focused on it and they, they, they know what they want and they go and try and get it. And then you get people who are kind of like, a bit more laissez-faire about it they're a bit more chilled and they're kind of like it, the, the the opportunity kind of takes them by surprise so when you leave rgs um you move to the professional ranks like really quickly so you finish your a levels and you head away with some of your mates on what i'm sure was a very quiet quiet beer free trip and you rock back in and you're into a pre-season with the first team so automatically you've gone from one you know what, what you described as that university uh, into a career kind of life back into what is a professional rugby career how big an experience was that first pre-season for you and were you bricking it because I, I i remember my first pre-season as a professional and i was absolutely bricking myself yeah I'll, yeah 100 percent. like very very nervous going into it but um i so i'd signed an academy contract so i mm. just thought I was going to be waltzing into the academy changing room, 
with the rest of the boys mm. um, just to start doing an academy pre-season, which I was kind of used to because um, I'd been a part of their pre-seasons in the summer during the school holidays for the past couple of years, for the, for the years pre- prior to that. So I kind of knew what to expect a little bit. So th- that kind of helped. But I remember like my first day and yeah, I, I, I just walked off a plane from a trip to Tenerife <laughs> with, with, with 20 of my schoolmates. So um, I, was, you know, I wasn't in the best shape um, uh, at all. Um, and I remember walking through the doors of the uh, of Six Ways, the same, you know, the same entrance to the rugby centre now. Yeah. And I think it was one of the other boys who was in my kind of academy group said to me, uh, oh, we're, we're through there. And like pointed towards the first team change rooms, and I was like, "Sorry, what? Like what?" And, and he was like, "Yeah, the boys are in there." Um, and and I think the reason the reason behind that was because we had Mike Ruddock arrive as director of rugby, and it was his first um, his first season in charge, and I think he just kind of took the the opportunity to just get everyone in together. So he literally chucked a group of us academy boys in with the first team mm. from day one and it was pretty much like right sink or swim and that was it really so yeah I've, I've walked into the changing rooms like I have no idea where to even put my bag so yeah, that's the stress well, that's the stress <laughs> even, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I remember Rosie telling us about a few of the boys bags getting kicked around the changing room you, oh. you, you've got to be really careful about where you end up don't you yeah like you've got there were some big characters there as well at that time like uh, Chris Forty, um, yeah, same name as Pop Up. Yeah, right? like you just make sure you kind of don't make eye contact, <laughs> eye contact with him. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I found eventually found a spot, probably somewhere near the near the uh, near the showers and um, showers or toilets. That's yeah, always worth yeah. it. Um, and that was it. Like just just kind of get on with it. You, you had no time to think. And I was, you know, I remember. I do remember my first condition game session actually. Yeah, and. That was the only time in my career that I've ever been like had that feeling of wanting to be sick on a rugby mm. field. Like it's just that step up between going from school rugby, yeah. where you're just playing. It's serious, but you're playing for a laugh. Um, you're playing with your mates, um, and there's not a huge amount of training involved no. or high performance, and you are into a Premiership rugby team. And I just remember thinking, oh my god. How am I gonna, you know? How am I gonna hang on? Um, but you know, that's exactly what you got to do, and you just go with it. Yeah, you adapt quickly, uh, and you evidently you did. And I think you, you use that term sink or swim um, in in high in in the world of high performance, especially with academies. Do you think there's a judgment on players too quickly, especially when you enter that environment as an eighteen, sometimes even younger, as an eighteen year old? People can be judged too quickly because there are there are cases of players. The one that comes to mind, Don Brandt for Harlequins, because he obviously went away to university and came back slightly later. Are we making judgments on players too early? Because I'm sure within that group that you uh, talk about, that academy group, there would have been some players who 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 didn't swim. They sank. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. But I think you know that depends on on the coach. You know, mm. it depends who you've got calling the shots because. I think when it comes to high performance, if if you're not making a good first impression, okay, well, people make mistakes, that's fine. But then the key is you don't repeat that, yeah. isn't it? It's As soon as you start repeating the same mistakes, then there's not much room f- for you. You know, you, you are going to be shown the door. But if you, if, if you can prove that, yeah, I've made a mistake, but I've, I've learned about that, um, and I've gone away, and I've and I've I've worked on whatever I needed to work on, and come back and improved. Then, you know, the good coaches will see that, yeah. And 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 you're you're on the right path. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. I think so. Those early days, and you make your debut in two thousand and seven. Um, we, we talk us through those memories because playing your first game for your home club it's something I talked about previously in the podcast I don't feel there's an association um, within the elite pro level uh, ranks in rugby where people play for their play for the club that they're born and bred in but you did I feel like you can relate to that experience that I had when I played for Ulster for the first time um, talk us through that day it was yeah it was massive like I, I'd literally grown up I had a season ticket in the stands mm-hmm. uh, over in the East Stand when it was, you know, a bit smaller than it is now. 
and I used to go every week with my mate, one mm. of my mates, and um, and I've gone from that and watching, you know, the likes of Pat Sanderson, you know, who who was captain at the time, you know, w- w- watching him um, on the field, kind of like being in awe of them, and then. Mm all of a sudden you named on the team sheet alongside him and it was just like it it was a huge just like you you had to pinch yourself it was one of those moments and i think it was the first time well it wasn't actually my first game but the first time i was involved as well for a worcester first team game i was still at school so there was an, there was an absolute crisis at, at <laughs> nine like <laughs> I think there must have been about 10 scrum halves that had gone down. Is that circuit of cha- like, like we had in the champ year? Y- yeah, you know? yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so, exactly. So, so a similar story to how Shilly got brought through? 100%, yeah. So I think the... Because you, you got banned for uh, a tip tackle. Yeah. The only time I've seen you make a dominant hit in your life. Yeah, it was a hell of a hit. <laughs> um, but yeah... I, yeah, so <laughs> moving on from the band. Um, yeah, it was exactly a kind of mirror situation of that. I think the first choice, the first three scrum halves had got injured. Mm. Um, they were down to their last kind of squad uh, player at, at nine. Who was that? A guy called Nick Runcenham, mm. Runcenham, uh whose brother was actually in my academy year as well. So he must have been injured as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I was literally, I was at school um, I think I was on break for Easter um, at the time and I had a phone call from the academy, one of the academy coaches and they said, look, you need to come in um, and, and train with the first team. It's more than likely that you're going to be involved on the weekend against Bristol in a premiership game um, at their old ground. Memorial. Memorial, yeah. And it's funny, the, the, the way it came about, Mike, Mike Lancaster, one of the old physios, he, he was in the room. Great guy. Yeah, really good guy. And he was in the coaches' meeting when they were discussing who were the, who they were going to bring in, and um, and John Brain, uh, the late John Brain, was the coach at the time, and he's literally going down the list like he's exhausted the list, and he's gone. Well, you know, is there anybody else? And one of the academy managers probably said, "Well, you know, what about Johnny R?" <laughs> um, but he's in school. So uh, apparently, and when Mike, Mike Lancaster told me this so many times, he said, John Brain just turned around to them and said, well, you better call Hogwarts then and it's time to get Harry Potter out of school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is unbelievable. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly how it happened. And then I trained for the week leading into this premiership game against Bristol um, and was named on the bench as uh, would have been 17, 18 years, years of age. It just so happened that I didn't actually make the field that day, you know, probably rightly so. Um, but it was the whole occasion was just absolutely mind blowing, and I think it was at that point I had a taste of it. Yeah, I was like, right, okay, I want this. yeah, yeah, th- this this is pretty cool. Let's let's give this a go. Yeah, and you give it the best shot you got, and then the the first time that you did get on the pitch must have been a really special moment for you and your family afterwards. Whenever you can really t- take that in. Yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't great when I got on the pitch um, because I remember I chucked my first pass to Shane Drum's bootlaces, <laughs> um, and I thought, oh you know here we go um but no i got got that out of the way and yeah you know to to kind of to to leave the field then and experience the crowd and uh you know see see your mum and dad and um and everything and your family you know if it ended there it would have been mm. a great memory to have and then at uh, the age of 18 after that you're straight into town billy big balls <laughs> in the in the bushes or whatever it was back then were you i probably yeah i probably tried to skip the queue that night but <laughs> probably got booted out like i usually do yeah ask for id <laughs> um so the early years some of the biggest influences on you some of the big characters some of the people that you feel like you molded your your professional persona around some of the people on and off the pitch i think one of the biggest influences in terms of coaches actually was uh was one of my academy coaches at the time um gary meekin he he was a coach that was just prepared to put in as much time as you wanted um and you know anytime i went to him and said look can we do an an extra passing session Mm. or an extra kicking session you know, he, his answer was always yes, um, and he'd he'd stand there, you know, for for an hour if that's what it took yeah. for for me to get um, what I wanted out of the session. So, he, in terms of coaches, yeah, he 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 gave me a lot of 
a lot, a lot of confidence um, at the start. Um, Player-wise, I suppose in my position at the time, there was Matt Powell. He he was just, again just a really really good bloke. Mm. You know, great fun off the field. So you know he kind of took me under his wing off the field <laughs> and looked after me, which was much which is needed. A, yeah much needed, and it's it's a huge part of you know getting involved with the boys, as you know. Um, and obviously on the field, he um, he'd been Worcester's number one choice for best part of five years, probably yeah. at that point, um, and was always prepared to help me. Um, so 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 he was another one that springs to mind. Yeah, I think it's so important, and you do remember those those kind of influences, and then you reach the point later on, which we'll get to, where you become an influence for younger people, like we mentioned, Shelley, who ended up changing positions. But obviously, I remember. The week leading up to that champion final, there'd been a lot of um not not pressure put on him, but there there was external pressure put on Shelley because of his age. But the the way you and Charlie Mulcrone in particular got around him, if he was needed, if JB had to go off, I think that shows the sort of character that you two had. And I think we move on to kind of the mid part of your career and these milestones that you kept racking up. You know, so you you end up with this fifty milestone, hundred milestone, hundred and fifty, two hundred, and obviously the higher they go up, the more significant that they feel. But do you remember any of them in particular that you thought like I can't believe I've actually got to this stage because I remember um, playing with you on your 200s and obviously the higher they go the more significant they'll be but as someone who was born and bred in the area maybe reaching 50 caps for you was just like I can't believe this has just happened or did that feel like it every time you hit one of them? Yeah it did I think each time I got to a particular uh, milestone you know there was a huge sense of achievement and I think especially the first one um, hitting 50 was was huge because at the time I was still young, you yeah. know, I'd, I'd probably overachieved and got there quicker than mm-hmm. I personally thought, you know, I could. Um, so that that was amazing. And I think, to be honest, the one that I got, this is, forget about the result, because we got pumped by, I think, 40, 50 points by sale. But getting to my 200th was uh, was really really big because going from fifty to one hundred to one hundred and fifty happened really quick because yeah. I'd I'd been very much injury free was you know pretty much in the squad yeah. most weeks so happy days life is good you know things are going your way and I think that period between one hundred and fifty and two hundred like just seemed to go on forever because that's when the injury started creeping in you know thing you start to doubt yourself then it's like yeah you get to whatever number that is between 150 and 200 and it's like I really want to get there but I I don't think you know it might not ever happen mm. so I think overcoming you know the various injuries that I had and the struggles that I had during that period getting to 200 was was a real real big achievement and you know the other thing you just every time you hit one of those milestones you know the list of people that have been there before you obviously gets gets smaller and smaller so mm. To be in in the mix with you know the name you know the likes of Craig Gillies, um, Tony Windows up there, um, obviously Chris Panels there now, um, you know that was that was huge. You 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 are writing yourself into history, so it's that was it's a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely, and well deserved with all the like people people don't see it, and there was times I felt you know, and and I don't read too much into the social media side of stuff at, at all, even though I am on it heavily with wind your neck in there were times i felt like some aspects of the worcester fans didn't actually appreciate all the work that you'd done and i and i openly have said that to people previously and people would never see the work that you'd put in on the training ground or in the gym or coming back from that neck injury in particular because i remember the neck injury i came around your house to see afterwards and it felt like there was at times not not everyone and i have to make sure i disclaim that there was there was elements of the worcester fans who almost underappreciated what you did um and and it's probably maybe not something that you'd feel comfortable saying but within the you know i i know me and milsey talked about it all the time like there was just so much that you put into that club so much of the fabric of what we'd bought into was because of guys like you and Pennell. but did you ever feel like that or did you never let did you ever let yourself get to that position no i i i was certainly aware of it you know at the time uh, at times i was aware of you know, there was quite a bit of 
kind of negative negativity out there towards me mm. um and i'd be lying to say that you know of course you when you read stuff online it's like it, it does hurt um so that, that that there were times where it, it, it was tough to to kind of stomach what what some people's opinions were but then kind of looking back at it now you know there's always going to be a a section of supporters or whoever people who want to put an opinion out there and that's yeah. very much sometimes based on that present moment in time yeah so yeah you know there were probably times during a period of my rugby career where I wasn't playing the best rugby um and that's everybody goes through that mm. um so, <laughs> spent, spent, spent 12 years at <laughs> it John so um you know that's part of part of playing in the spotlight you know you yep. can't be at the top of your game all the time but you know some people just for whatever reason decided to grab onto that and um and just paint me in a pretty bad light but i think once i got over that initial kind of you know shot to the stomach and seeing certain comments or whatever i just i, I stopped looking for things yeah. you know stopped looking for comments didn't engage in anything um that would add fuel to the fire uh, and if anything, it just stoked my own fire to 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 go out there and just you know prove people wrong. Absolutely, and I, that, I'm a massive chip on the shoulder fella. I think it's it's a really powerful tool if harnessed the right way. But I always felt like you were so cool and calm about it. Like it used to fucking drive me insane. Like, and I remember saying to the boys, like, I can't have this. I'm I'm gonna say something on Twitter here, and they'd be like, you're just gonna come across like an asshole, so don't yeah. bother. And 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 I think that was testament to your character because I don't think there's you see now social media is becoming more prevalent, um, positive and negative, and there are some players starting to kick back. Um, and I always respected you massively for not giving them what they wanted, which was a reaction. So if we look at that in total, if we globalise your time at Worcester, you know, do you ever feel like Worcester really filled the potential that you wanted them to or that we always, that we have talked about? Because I've only, I was only there with you for, I think it was four, five years. It was four years. Four years we spent at the club together. Challenges around changes of management, directors of rugby, ownership lack of performance has to be brought into that do you ever feel like we really actually got to the position where we wanted to i think it's got to be said that no we never did we never did you know i probably went through 12 pre-seasons of goal setting and every time you know we say we want to be a top six club did we ever make it there no not as yet so you know looking back it's not a regret of mine because I, I don't have regrets but the only thing I would have loved to have been a part of is is a Worcester side that achieves, you know, what they set out to achieve and, and go and be a top six club and mm. get into Europe. Because much like yourself, for me, it just became a bit of an obsession, you know. Staying at Worcester, for me, was all about, yeah, it was my hometown club. But I was, desperately wanted to be a part of a successful Worcester side because... I, you know, towards the latter stages of my career, I'd just, I'd been a part of Worcester teams that had come close, you know, set out to achieve goals of, 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 of hitting top six and just not achieving it. So it got to a point of, well, you know, I, I was just so desperate to be a part, part of that for when it actually clicked. You know, the way I look at it now is that I, I hope that they do still go on to achieve that yeah. um, and the way I'll look back is that I was I was a part of that journey to get that club it, to achieve that just so happened that it took a bit longer than <laughs> than perhaps we'd we'd have wanted. Yeah, I mean the the obvious question is why did why did you know and I think that's that that conversation that question itself deserves a huge amount of time because there's so many factors that come into it but do you have any initial thoughts on why we never quite i say we because i'm now heavily embedded within invested in this club you know in those early years in particular like the the, the money and the investment that cecil put into it we both know cecil personally and he is an absolute legend of a man why why up to this date and i say up to this date because i do believe that we're you know i'm in the johnny r cycle where i think <laughs> this is our year um do you, why up to that point do you think it never happened I think there was, look, there, 
you just got to look at the uh, the list of coaches and and the duration of the time spent at the club. Everything just happened in a three year cycle. Mm. So um, I'm not sure how long John Brain was there, but when I arrived, Mike Ruddock came in three years later. Um, he's gone. Richard Hill comes in three years later. He's gone. Dean Ryan comes in three years later. Dean's gone. Hoggy's is Hoggy in charge? We don't know. Yeah, uh, you know there was that whole debacle, um, and so I think that's got a huge thing to do with it because anyone that comes in in a position of power, you know, d- director of rugby, clearly it takes them. They inherit a squad straight away, yeah. so they've got a squad of players that they don't. I'm not saying they don't want them all, but they probably don't. They don't. Yeah. Well, yeah, they don't want them all. Yeah. Um, they're making judgments on the exactly. squad and then they're looking to try and shape that squad to what they want Yeah, and so, that can take you know that can take because of contract cycles in rugby two to three years yeah and I think you just got to look at that time when Dean came in it took it, like, it took him three years to get hit the squad that he wanted yeah at which point you know that's the really vital time because that's the point which I think you're going to start making real Pro, pro, progress mm. because you spent three years to get to a point where you've got the players that you want you've embedded the game plan that you you want those players to to undertake mm-hmm. um and i think that it's at that point where you sh- should expect to see some growth and you know dean had his reasons for moving on fair play but had he been there for another two three years who knows? Who knows? But the cycle starts again, but and exactly. uh, and then we missed a couple of years in there because you know with even shorter um, yeah. points in which people were in charge, and I think Solly's going to go on to become the longest standing um, it, within the last decade for sure. So if we move now to the point at which we look at the whole career for you, some of the highlights of your career, any standout in particular? For, because and I'm I'm going to go first. Um, the, the the one that stands out for me. Is, isn't a funny one. I, I had plenty of funny ones to pick out. I mean, the image of you down in Cornwall whenever we'd just beat Cornish Pirates by about 60 points and we'd stopped off for fish and chips in the shop and you've gone over to the edge to have a look at the water and whatever's happened, this wave's come in and it has absolutely drenched you. For some reason, it stands out in my brain and I actually have it still on my phone. Um, if I ever need a chuckle, I'll just I'll flick on to that. But maybe the, that was like a message from someone. <laughs> the sea gods, I don't know. But I will never the shock and your surprise. Uh, you know what? I will put it up um, on the wind your neck and page, and people can get a look at what I'm talking about. I think the one that stands out for sure is the Gloucester testimonial game, um, and the brilliant piece of blocking that Donica did. But to allow you in for that try was just like. I felt I, I remember watching it in the boardroom upstairs on the East Stand, injured, no doubt. And uh, I was gone absolutely mental because I knew what that whole year meant to you as in a testimonial uh, aspect. And and after some of the heat and pressure that we talked about from the fans and external pressure that we felt was going your direction, that was a massive moment because it felt like you get what you deserve. Is are are there any for you that stand out? No, I, I definitely think that was yeah, that was a huge one for me because. Um, I had never anticipated even playing in that game mm. because um, I'd just come back from injury. I think, it, well, yeah, it was concussion. Um, I'd been dealing with a with a with a few bouts of that, which I think ultimately had led me to be on the sidelines for the best part of three months, probably. Yeah. Um, and so going into that, obviously, I knew that that was going to be my testimonial game, but as the weeks kind of came close I was just getting the the buckets ready for the old bucket collection and I was just going to be walking around the ground you know shaking a bucket that's genuinely what I thought I was going to be doing Um, and I then then got named in the team um, which was a a big shock to me as it was probably anybody else Um, and and yeah, you know, you're right. There was obviously some 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 murmurs from 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 the supporters of what you know, what on earth is he doing in the team? He's literally been on the sidelines for for three months. Yeah, and you know they're probably warranted in in voicing that opinion. So, um, just then to go into that, you know, the whole occasion was huge. Um, the, I remember the week leading into it, 
was just very just emotional and you know we'd picked that game we'd penciled in that game particularly because it was a local derby six yep. ways was always going to be packed to the rafters and Worcester also have a pretty good record against Gloucester at home yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a pretty good chance we'd, yeah. we'd have a good result on the day and yeah you know just going out and and I ended up having you know a pretty good game and, yeah. and nipping over for the for the try just just put the icing on the cake really and it was uh, certainly probably the day that sticks out out, out the most one season in particular stands out um, and that was the first time that we were in the championship because obviously we'd had the disappointment of, of being relegated the year before I remember we got relegated up in Leeds and I played the game but I had to come off because I pulled my hamstring during the game you were um, moving fast enough to play the hamstring <laughs> yeah believe it or not um, I must have been pushed from behind or something. Um, but I pulled the hamstring like I, obviously I've just picked up this injury I've mm. watched them Worcester yeah. you know suffer That's, relegation it's dark it was just so so dark so you know we've then gone into into the um, championship campaign and that was the first year that I'd really had a full season um, playing you know mm. week in week out as you know Part of a, as part of a champion side, you have quite a lot of fun along the way, yeah. which which is which is hugely important, and and that's great. And you know, we ultimately uh, finished the year getting promoted and picked up Player of the Year that year. So that 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 was huge for me, really. You know, I'll, I'll always remember. I'll re- I won't remember a lot of the three days after the final for, for obvious <laughs> no, reasons. No doubt. But um, I remember. You know what I will remember is obviously all the celebrations on the Wednesday uh, night. Um, Thursday's a bit hazy. And then Friday, we had our end-of-season awards mm. dinner. And just to kind of, you know, cap it off, being given that accolade was was, was massive. What state were you in to, to, to accept it? I was pretty ropey, I think. <laughs> uh, from memory, it was me, Mr. Abbott and Grosey. Yeah, that's kind a hell of, of a threesome. We, we led, we led the charge. There weren't many survivors on day three, but no. we managed to get through. That's unreal. Some of the best moments. And I think if we flip it on its head, um, all the good, there there definitely comes bad. And you mentioned that concussion bout that you went through, but with, without putting words in your mouth, some of the lower moments throughout that career, do any stand out? Obviously the two relegations, you know, you never, ever want to be a part of a side that finishes last. Um, simple as that. So they're they're always, I suppose, memories that I'd rather forget. Yeah, and rather would would have not happened. And then the injuries, yeah. The I think I kind of alluded it to earlier. I'd spent probably the first seven or eight years. The worst thing I did was a freak hamstring pull. <laughs> you know, God knows how I did it, but that put me out at the end of the season for what eight weeks or something like that. So really, I I hadn't really suffered an an injury certainly not a major injury yeah so by the time i mean and unless you're donica you know you've kind of got to expect one that's going to come your way yeah at some point and and sure enough it did i did um my knee i was out for pcl i remember lcl LCL, LCL, um, lateral uh, ligament in my knee you that, play. You played on for the rest of the game, though, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You can't say it, but I will. <laughs> Absolute nails. Um, so that put me out. That finished my season. Um, uh, landed in January, so that finished my season. I think I was out for eight months in total. Yeah. But I remember Zoe always used to say I handled that too well, and I think I did because, I, like, for me, it was it's my first injury, so it was all a bit. I was seeing like the novel side of everything, you know, first time you go under the knife, first time you have anaesthetic, first time you, um, you know, got to start rehabbing first time. So first time for everything. So um, it didn't really affect me at all, to be honest. Um, But then I got into that cycle of injury after injury and, uh, and sometimes that's hard to break. And then I just went and had a, a few bouts of concussion, which culminated in a neck operation and I think it was at that point in the neck operation where I was probably at the lowest I've ever ever been Mm. Um, because when you're injured you're not a rugby player you 
don't you can't train so you lose the ability to train which is a, a loss in itself Huge. so you can't do essentially what your, your job description expects you to do you don't train with the boys so you're in you've got a small injured group if if, if you're lucky you know to, to train with so you I, I just felt like I really got disengaged myself from the group during that period um, I was lucky I, I did have Mr. Biggs at the time oh, to, yeah. to get you jacked to, to get me through <laughs> he did promise that I'd see a set of pipes on it, but <laughs> mate you don't get the nickname Johnny Arms R without having a set of pipes on you um, and you know when you're going from injury to injury you've got that cloud over your shoulder mm. you know am i ever going to get back so yeah. i think yeah for me that was that was the toughest time that i'd experienced but thankfully yeah i found, found a way through yeah i think you pete you surprise yourself because you find some some way of just getting on with it and, and actually months just blur into another and, and and i think the support you got through zoe your fiance um should have been wife by this stage but <laughs> covid <laughs> sent that backwards um your fiance zoe and your family who i've all met are just top people and i think they're the people who who drag you through it and i've talked openly about it before with claire my wife and the dog benji dragging me through my period and it's hard because as someone who considers myself a good friend of yours you know you always wonder could you do more for people when they're in that position but it's uh it's difficult because the person can see can at times withdraw themselves from actually be wanting to be helped they kind of want to be miserable and they want to mm. be and I, and I know for a fact there was periods i did want to be miserable i wanted to self-pity um so there's definitely a lesson in that you know with the people who i see in, engaged in that sort of scenario now you try and just say to them like listen this will happen this will pass and try and extend that olive branch to make that scenario better for them but i think the next and final point on worcester is a word that's banded around loads in rugby and actually worcester showed you a huge amount of it throughout your career but at some point that ends and the words loyalty and and the theme of loyalty in sport is something that I've really, really enjoyed kind of looking into because people perceive us rugby players as, as as commodities. You know, at the end of the day, we are pieces of meat and we play rugby for a living. And at some point, the gravy train, in inverted commas, stops. So throughout your career, all the contract cycles that you talked about, all the times when you get those contracts renewed, and then eventually that stops. How does it feel in that moment whenever you're told you're not being kept on and you're going to be moving on to something else? Um, honestly how did that feel and how did it how did it take time to perceive what Worcester means to you um, now because you've openly talked about how you still want Worcester to be successful just those 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 moments whenever you know the loyalty ends yeah it was um, it was tough you know when ultimately you get told that there's no contract for you essentially you know whoever that individual is delivering you that news is saying to you they don't think you're good enough mm. pretty much um so clearly when that information gets delivered to you it's it's a bit of pill to swallow you know um because clearly i still felt that i could deliver you know and and be of benefit to, to worcester moving forward to be honest i didn't dwell on it too much you know i I'd be lying if I said I didn't expect it, which I think, to be honest, helped because I'd yeah. had time prior to, you know... Confirmation. The, yeah, I, I'd, I'd had time to get my head around things. It didn't come as a shock, put mm. it that way, you know. So I'd, I'd had time to mentally prepare for that. I just then started looking forward, you know, and, and with a great deal of excitement, really, because... Yeah, it'd been amazing to spend 12 years at one club uh, for, for my hometown club, which um, was great. But I then, as soon as I got told there wasn't a new contract, I had an opportunity then to go to go and find something else. You know, at the time, I very much wanted to stay in the game. I just didn't know where, where that was going to take me. So yeah. it, it, it was a strange time because I had the disappointment of, yeah, you don't have a contract, but I had a sense of excitement about the future yeah which i think really dragged me through that time yeah i think it's so crucial and i think that that move to mosley 
which you really enjoyed um, in, in its entirety. You know, a great rugby club who Worcester kind of have had this association with before my time, really. But I think I enjoyed it. We went down there a couple of times and watched you play, and I enjoyed watching you play rugby, and you seemed like you were enjoying yourself anyway. <laughs> Whether you were faking it, I don't know. But the, the move to Mosley and playing in that one, I'm just quickly, if we can reflect on the transition from moving from a very high-performing environment where you are a professional and an ultimate professional you were, you're moving to that one where you're starting to look post-rugby and we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to look at what, what life looks like after you hang the boots up, which you have just done. But mixed in with that, the environment in which you're, you're starting to play is considerably different. You know, there's a different level of facilities. There's a different level of healthcare. There's a different level of the standard of rugby. So how did you find that year playing there in, the, in that one? Honestly, it was far harder than I thought it was ever going to be. Mm. Like, and that was for various reasons. Um, I think uh, above all, yeah, I, I, I did really enjoy it. I think it was it, honestly after my first few games, it was the f- I had feelings that I hadn't had since I was like playing for the Worcester Colts. Okay, so like what? Like, you just get that you get that feeling of grassroots rugby again. Mm. You know. Um, there's a there's a lot less pressure on you. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of results, yes, you know you want that team to to achieve, and uh, and and to um, to go on and um, do well in the season. But the, naturally, there is there's there's less eyes on you, so that there is less pressure. So you, there's a bit more enjoyment uh, on that respect. And I think the other aspect of it, which I, I, I really enjoyed, was. Um, <laughs> Uh, was the group of lads you know it was just being amongst a complete different group of lads with often different mentalities you know for them for a lot of them rugby isn't everything Mm. Um, and I think you start to realize through that that actually there's a lot more to life than than just rugby and you often get trapped in this bubble Um, so I suppose I started to to get myself out of there there's a lot more to rugby uh, than just rugby like social buses home from the arse end of nowhere in the country right yeah well unfortunately the way the season panned out we didn't have too many of them but nah. we had one very good bus ride back from I think Canterbury which is a long way away from uh, from Birmingham and yeah you kind of just you, you, get, you stay present in the moment you know the boys just going wild on the bus and <laughs> and, and those, are the, those are the moments that yeah you, you do really appreciate um, but I think I, I generally do have a have a huge huge amount of respect for the for the boys that that do it. Yeah, you know for, that, that do it for a number of years as well, mm. because one of the hardest things I I found was um, just being taken out of a professional environment. You know, you get you literally get everything handed to you on a plate. Yeah, I didn't. You know, during the training days, I didn't cook myself breakfast, lunch for 12 years yeah you know and i've gone from that to um pot noodles for lunch to pot noodles for lunch <laughs> uh a kit kat a bag of crisps um but yeah you go from that environment where everything is given to you yeah. on a on a silver platter um to all of a sudden you've got a job mm. and you've got to go out and you, you know you're out working during the day yeah you get limited time at the club to train you get even more limited time outside of that to train yourself um and yeah i found i found it hard to get myself in a position where i suppose i felt that i was at my best yeah simple as that really well the games i went down i thought you you know the only way i could describe it and we talked about this with a few of the boys you were down to watch and it looked like you were playing a different game at times you know you were you were anticipating things happening and they wouldn't happen because of the standard of the rugby you know in itself but one of the things that i thought was quite interesting to discuss because we've discussed it previously is is this idea of player welfare in in, in all aspects of rugby which is a pretty hot topic at the moment and i think you know if we go to the level of the championship and then we go below that to the nat one 
the player welfare in that one in terms of the games they play on the bounce and uh, you know aspects of the num- the amount of subs you're allowed is different right yeah you uh get like five subs or something like that so even the, the amount of the amount of subs you're allowed in terms of how players are rotated and the amount of training you do during the week to justify some of the rugby that they play for me was quite considerable because these guys are out, you're out putting quite a decent level of rugby at times and and you're only training on a Tuesday Thursday but the, I remember you telling me that from the the month you started you'd basically played a game every Saturday for something like 15 16 weeks is that right yeah so we uh just like any other club, we'd had a full pre-season. Obviously, we're not Monday to Friday, but two nights a week and sometimes on a Saturday during mm. pre-season. So we've had two or three months of that, of training, at high intensity. Um, then we rolled into pre-season games. <laughs> I mean, this is bonkers to think right, from where I've come from, but it was normal in that league. We went down to Wales and played a game on the Friday and the majority of boys that played in that game played again on the Saturday no way we had a double header in Wales like playing a game in Wales is hard enough as it is yeah huge some of those boys down there but we played they played a game on the Friday and the Saturday I think I you just thank thank God I had to get back for a wedding (laughs) oh yeah sorry sorry I I need to get out of here I'll um, just play Friday so yeah I I hot-footed out of uh, out of Wales um, after the game on the Friday but we we literally went from then and played our first break didn't come until Christmas mm, and our first proper break after that I think our first week off came probably towards the end of January and I was absolutely like spent yeah like bearing in mind sometimes I'm looking at the team sheet and there is one back on the on, named on the bench and, you're playing early and sometimes that's not a nine <laughs> and yeah you're staring at that and you're thinking Christ I, I can only describe it as an absolute slog yeah. like it did become a slog and we were um, pretty unfortunate with injuries we had a small squad anyway that Adam Balding was tasked at pretty much throwing together yeah. in like two months prior to pre-season starting so by the time we got to um uh that first break in january like boys were not just physically done they were mentally just exhausted um and it was it was really yeah really really tough and i think for me it hit home it actually turned out to be my last game of rugby um yeah, that for, i knew uh, it at the in, time in a semi-professional to professional sense because you yeah, will be course, yeah. more yeah. yeah but um it hit home um i a freak accident on the field got a finger like lodged in my eye mm. and i i probably made a bit of a scene about it you know <laughs> dive dive to the floor and i just put my hand over my eye and when i moved my hand away i couldn't see anything out of my eye wow hands down the scariest moment of of yeah. my rugby career i think you're blind like i genuinely thought i was blind in one eye mm. for i just sat there on for about two minutes the physios didn't really know what to do or say i was just like i cannot see out of my eye over that i was then i got sent to hospital um i think by the time i got to hospital i started to regain some sight and obviously made a full recovery so um very pleased for that but i sat there in hospital and i was just thinking ultimately even though i'm two levels down from the premiership I'm putting my body at the same amount of risk than I would do playing for Worcester Warriors on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Potentially, if not more. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that actually you take into consideration the training that you're doing, whether that's enough to prepare you for some... That's what I was trying yeah. to say. Yeah. The, the actual standard of the rugby, because of what the clubs financially can do, they can only offer the semi-professional aspect of a Tuesday, Thursday. But some of the games that I saw you play in, like, you could argue that they needed more time to prepare you for those games. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like you, you think of I suppose the the training you're doing at the moment in preparing you for to go back to playing. Yeah, you think of the amount of physical work you have to do to make sure your body is 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 in a state where it can sustain, you know, the, the physical nature of rugby. There's no way you can prepare your body. I don't think anywhere close no. when you're 
you don't have the resources you don't have the time um to put in the same amount of training yeah and then you're rolling into a game where ultimately you've got 15 blokes wanting to kick you know kick lumps out of you <laughs> and your body's at the same risk and i remember i was just sat in that hospital and i just thought do you know what i've had a lucky escape here mm. I d it's probably not the right thing to say but I wasn't receiving the same financial rewards. Of course. Uh, clearly, the of course. Was, uh, at Worcester. Yeah. Um, I was starting to build a career away from the field. And it was at that point I just thought, Do you know what? I've been very, very lucky here. Um, and I'm at a position where I can um, perhaps walk away from the game on my terms with a sound body and a sound mind. And, and that's ultimately the way it turned out. Yeah, so that was obviously a huge huge influence in the decision to finally retire uh, officially as of last week yeah that moment in particular was yeah coupled with the fact that the work that I'd started to do away from the field uh, in financial services had really kind of started to, to pick up yeah um, which was great so I just kind of had the opportunity where I could either play again because I could have played again body's fine um, the dog's got a bit bigger over the summer, but um, you still got that left foot one. Though, I might have been more have... of a Sean Perry figure. Hey, that's all right. Um, so yeah, things away from the field started to really, really motor. So I could have, I could have played again, knowing that I was going to be my attention potentially was going to be needed elsewhere. Mm. You know, I couldn't have. I couldn't have guaranteed that whoever I would have gone on to play for next, I would have been able to give them the level of energy and commitment required because my mindset had changed. Yeah. There um, was a sh shift in terms of what had become important though. Exactly. You know, the yeah. rugby is obviously a huge part of our lives, but you're so, so at this point you're tasked with this, um, this move into financial planning, which we're going to get to now. I think, you know, you, that shift becomes more important to not start to look at that post rugby, the real world as we keep calling it in inverted commas. Um, so, just quickly before, because you're talking about you know this this new this new business venture that you're talking about, can you give us, the people listening some context and some ideas around what it is that you started doing? Yes. Yeah, so I um, initially started, a, I suppose you know my next career move was into financial services. So um, yeah, I had uh, I I'd, I'd, I'd made a, a conscious decision that that was going to be my, my career move for, for one reason or another. So I kind of got myself qualified, um, started working as a mortgage and protection advisor. Things started to go you know, pr pretty well. Um, and I just got contacted by, um, by my now business partner. We had kind of one conversation led to another and we shared a lot of similar views on, um, on financial planning and, yeah. and, you know, how we think it should be done. Um, and essentially we turned, uh, I suppose a dream of mine has always been to kind of, I suppose, be in charge of my own destiny and run my own business. Be um, your own boss, yeah. And Philip, my business partner, has has helped uh, give me the opportunity to make that become a reality. And that's really where uh, Union Lifestyle Financial Planning was born. Um, and so we essentially offer um, a service that enables um, uh, our clients to achieve and maintain their desired lifestyle um so that they can ultimately make the most of their time spent on this planet doing the things that mean the most to them yeah but i think like the financial planning side of it like it can be a bit um it can be a bit dry but whenever you put it in the context of someone you know making decisions now and that will influence them being able to, to continue to live a lifestyle which is obviously cleverly why you've picked that word in their latter years or post you know a retirement or or whatever it is it, it's something that um particularly in the professional rugby world is that a, is that is that sort of area that you're looking to hit or is it going to be a very universal target audience it's going to be a totally universal target audience i i i settled on the name union because um for various reasons really i want i i learned so much from the game like mm -hmm. the game's given me so much um, I've learned things that I'd never be able to learn from uh, any textbook yeah. university or anything like that. So I always knew that whatever I went into after rugby, I was going to use those skills um, and also use 
you know the values of the game that um that that i've 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 been blessed with so that was a was a reason for choosing the word union and and the, and the other reasoning behind it was you know what is being part of a union all about well it's it's about coming together mm-hmm. um under a shared objective and for me um you know that shared objective is when I sit down with a client it's it's about right you know what do you want out of life what do you want to be able to do um what means the most to you and my job is just helping them achieve that and a lot of the time people think about you know financial planning and financial advice yes it can be quite dry you know a lot of people talk about pensions investments mm-hmm. mortgages uh, protection i don't you know that that, that 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 is pretty boring even to me and i'm in, <laughs> and I, and I'm, in I'm in financial services you know what i mean and, yeah and yes that's what we do but we flipped it around and you probably heard of Simon Sinek. Mm. He talks about um, start with why. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what, 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 where I've gone with this. You know, I'm, I'm portraying the wide, why do I do finan- you know, financial planning? Well, I do financial planning really to, to change people's lives, like at the deepest level. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I get out of bed in the morning and want to sit down at my laptop and do my work and speak to clients and help them achieve their goals. Um, you know, I, the whole uh, financial products in terms of pensions and different investments, yeah. they're just things that come with, you know, come with it if we need it. Yeah, they're um, accessories to allow you to give the people yeah. the product that they want. Yeah, we, uh, you know, some some financial business, businesses out there kind of have a heavy product focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think historically, financial services has got a bit of a bad rap because it's been quite heavy on sales and selling products, you know, in order to fund the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, we started to look at it from from completely, we flipped it and we just put the client in the center and the product on the outside. Yeah. And I think, well, actually, that's exactly the way, you know, any business should be run. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a huge success because I know the sort of person you are and I know the way you talk about that with the passion that you do and you find your why post-rugby. And I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge, um, moving on to the last question, it's important to acknowledge that we will never find something that really gives us the same feeling as what we did. But that doesn't mean that you can't find something that makes you really happy when you get out of bed in the morning. And I'm delighted that you have found that. And I think rounding it off, you know, one of the things that we discussed before we recorded that is, I think you have attacked it in an amazing way is how important is it to attack this transition into post rugby? Because, you know, you're going to go on to discuss it like we just talked about in incredible detail about how you did it. But there is a mindset that you've taken to it, which is inspiring for me as a still current professional rugby player. You know, how did you attack it and, and, and the ways in which it can be portrayed and how those they can challenge professionals leaving the game. So I think the I suppose starting with the way that I think it's portrayed, I think it's often that whole concept of transition is portrayed in quite a negative way. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a lot in the media about all the bad experiences that people have had and often very little about the good experiences which in some ways strikes a bit of fear into people. Yeah. Um and I I kind of I mentioned earlier that when when you're involved in rugby you very much just it becomes your life mm-hmm. and rightly so because you know you you need to be at the top of your game in order to go out on the field and deliver a product that's right for the club so you need to devote everything to that and that that's fine but it's so easy just to get caught in that bubble and I just as I was starting to look at where I wanted to go post rugby I suppose my eyes just opened to, you know, it's a big wide world out there and there is so much opportunity and there's so much to get excited about. And where I am now, I'm almost where I was when I left school. Mm. So yeah, there's so much hard work ahead of me. Like, don't get me wrong, but there's a reason why we all succeeded as rugby players. You know, we, we were in that, 1% 1% that had that drive, that motivation, you know, that hard work ethic. That doesn't just leave you after rugby. Yeah, you've got to combine it with something you feel passionate about. 
um, to get the most out of it. But I now feel like I'm in the position I was as an 18 year old. You know, I've got, I still possess all those traits to go from where I am now, which is essentially an academy player, I suppose. You yeah. know, I'm an academy player in, in financial services. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I want to be in the premiership of financial services. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just so exciting to be at the start of a journey where literally the sky's your limit yeah. like get out there and, and see what can happen what's the worst that can happen <laughs> well <laughs> you, you moving in with me you and Zoe haven't they no I think I think um that you talked about the values of the game and I think that is under that is undervalued at times and I think that there is a perception of this you know so it's so important that people address the depression that players have had post rugby it's so important that we address the fact that we will never replicate what we do now running out of the pack six ways is it, it's addictive it's it's an amazing thing that we do but that doesn't mean that there can't be some a reason for you to get out of bed and a reason for you to find happiness within your life. And I think the way you're attacking this is is inspirational for every single professional rugby player who's going to move into that transition eventually because it happens to us all. And I think in, in finalising it, you know, Keith Wood said something and it sums you up perfectly, Johnny. It's just this intense curiosity as to how things work and how it can be relative to you. And I think you've always had that and I think this union lifestyle financial planning is going to be a huge success and you've got the full backing from everyone here at Wind Your Neck In which is pretty much just me (laughs) you've got my full backing and I think um, getting that insight from you today has been really really enjoyable you know an amazing career one of the bravest uh, rugby players I had the pleasure of playing with or stupid well a little bit of both <laughs> but uh, you know i'm one of the best left foots that uh, i was lucky enough to play with and i think you know i think in years to come there's going to be a huge appreciation for what you put into the worcester warriors um and worcester rugby full stop because the rugby boots are coming back on <laughs> and we're getting a few games out of you next year so johnny listen a huge thank you for coming on today i think it's an amazing story and uh yeah i'm super proud of you being your mate and um wishing you all the best going forward Cheers, mate. a big thank you to johnny for his time and all the very best to him on his new venture an absolute gent of a man and i have no doubt he will be a huge success with his new company union lifestyle financial planning if you enjoyed this episode get involved on social media and let us know thanks again for taking the time to listen and we'll see you guys in two weeks for the season one finale i'm niall annett and you've been listening to wind your neck in